Welcome to Mapping Global Transformations. In this episode, we look at our oceans with Doug McCauley, Director of the Benioff Ocean Initiative and Professor at UC Santa Barbara. So this is a really exciting time for the oceans. The, the thing is, we are changing the oceans incredibly rapidly. We're talking a lot about industrial revolutions, how those have looked, how those are going to look for our life. A lot of that is a conversation about how that looks for life on land. Now in the oceans, there is a, a completely different but incredibly important industrial revolution happening out there just beyond our coastlines right now, which is going to shape all parts of our life. It's going to shape business opportunities, investment, um, our economic worlds, so it'll, it'll shape our food security futures, it'll shape our energy futures. So, you know, what all is going on out there? Right now, we're doing some really exciting things. For the very first time in history, we are considering mining in the oceans, we're building power plants underwater, we're getting more food from the oceans. We're talking about becoming industrial strength farmers out there in the oceans, underwater. It's a complete transition from being hunters in the oceans to being farmers in the oceans. We're, um, we're, we're really sitting on a precipice of great change for the oceans. And that's gonna be you know, incredibly important in all these different axes that influence our lives. It's gonna present a lot of really exciting opportunities. The biggest opportunity is that it's not yet happened. We haven't really started an industrial revolution yet in the oceans. We're just on the precipice of doing that. So we all get to decide, scientists, people in business, people in policy, how to make that go right, how to make that go well. And that's, that's, that, that is a special opportunity. We have a deep history for running the course of industrial revolutions on land. There's a lot to learn from that, right? We want to figure out how um, we were able to derive maximal profit, maximal growth, maximal efficiency from these industrial revolution processes on land and pull all that good out and then leave behind the bad that we don't run. Right now we have all kinds of really wonderful technologies, a lot more science, all at our disposal to make an industrial revolution in the oceans happen well, make it happen in a way that benefits our economies, our food systems, and biodiversity. There's win-wins for us if we engage this intelligently. Our ingenuity, our creativity, all of this technology is helping us do that right. We, for example, have all kinds of new sensors, miniaturized sensors that we can stick on all sorts of marine life, right? On seabirds and turtles and dolphins and whales and sharks, right? Essentially, what we're doing is bringing sharks and whales now into the Internet of Things, which is really exciting, it's really neat, it's also really powerful information. As a marine scientist, if I suddenly know what a shark needs from the oceans and what a human needs from the oceans by tracking both of these predators in the oceans, I can build a better future, a future that works for sharks, a future that works for people that are out there, shippers, fishermen, aquaculturists. So this ocean big data that's coming back from these sensors, processed through smart algorithms, smart technologies, is really going to be empowering. We have a bunch of new technologies that are helping us be more effective farmers in the oceans. That really is going to matter because if we start this revolution of farming in the seas, it has to be clean. It has to make sh we have to make sure it doesn't step on the vitality of our wild fisheries. 2014 was the first year ever in which we ate more fish from farms than we ate from the wild. And that is, that's a huge transformative shift. We have to do that in a way that works for ocean biodiversity, ocean habitats, and wild fish stocks. Aquaculture, like any kind of farming, can be clean or it can be dirty. We need new technologies in the aquaculture system that help us do it in a clean way, help us do it in an efficient way, and help us do it in a way that doesn't harm the integrity of our wild fish stocks. 
There are a bunch of brand new industries, and deep sea mining is one of them, that are coming online in the oceans. And we have to engage them, and we have to foster these industries because we're going to need new things and, and more things from the oceans. Mining is about taking rare earth elements that were, as the name suggests, are becoming increasingly rare else on the planet, sourcing them now from the deep sea. And this is an exciting industry, right? Because historically, it was just science fiction, the prospect of, of going down to the bottom of our oceans and, and gathering min minerals. Not science fiction anymore. We have 300-ton waterproof robots that can go down and gather up minerals. The proposals right now, the mining claim areas that we've laid out, particularly in our high seas areas, are vast. We have over a million square kilometers of oceans that have been included in, in, in mining claims. The claim area south of Hawaii, stretching between Hawaii and California, is just about as wide as the continental U.S. So this is a huge track of oceans. We're writing a new rule book for how this industry will develop, how we should go about mining, how should we go about um, getting these resources while protecting ocean habitats and ocean biodiversity. And we have to get those rules right. It's going to make a really big difference. It's not a matter of saying no to these things. It's a matter of engaging them with all of our tools, all of our intellect, all of our awareness that uh, we can and will bring industry online in the oceans that works for um, business and works for biodiversity. Those are the win-wins we're searching for in mining as in elsewhere. We have, for example, a whole package of new technologies that are helping us plug into the big battery that is the oceans to take energy out. We right? have wave power and tidal power, ocean thermal power. All of this is going to be an important way to get more green energy into our green energy portfolio and slow down climate change, a major stressor for the oceans. So this matters. By our estimations, the oceans of all the planetary ecosystems is going to be the most vulnerable system on the planet to climate change because you have these compounded stressors all coming at ocean life. You have the heat, the acidity, and the loss of oxygen. We have to get on it and address this issue right away. And that's something that all of us can do with policy, with changes in business, with changes in the way that we even live our own lives. The sixth mass extinction is this idea that humans essentially are the new asteroid. We're influencing our planet with the same intensity, the same force of change as did the asteroids that struck our planet and initiated these historical mass extinctions. These are extinctions that drove all the dinosaurs um, to disappear from our planet. This is how big it's getting now in terms of our influence and how much we're changing patterns of biodiversity, how much we're accelerating extinction on our planet. But here's the thing is that six mass extinction, when we talk about these accelerated extinction rates, is happening almost entirely on land. The past 500 years, we've seen over 500 extinct species occur on land. In the oceans, same time period, only 15 extinctions. That's great news. But here's where it gets a little scary. We're essentially sitting on a cliff of extinction in the oceans. We, in a very short amount of time, could bring the six mass extinction into the oceans, the largest ecosystem on the planet, the only ecosystem on the planet where the sixth mass extinction has not yet reached. This is about saving ourselves. The things that we do to the oceans, the species that could be most impacted by those changes is going to be us, humans. And it's gonna affect all of our systems, our food security, our global stability, our economies. The oceans are this refrigerator that's stocked full with nutritious free-range fish. 845 million people on our planet are kept from diseases associated with malnutrition as a result of access to healthy seafood. Every degree of climate change, climate warming that happens to our oceans, is estimated to cause a loss of 3 million tons of fish. That's 
three million tons of healthy food we're throwing in the trash bin. We are already having conflicts of all things over fish. What's happening now is as we are making high value fishery stocks, cod, mackerel, many others become more and more rare. And as climate change is pushing these stocks around so that they go over our national boundaries into our neighbors' waters, that is a recipe for more conflict. I promise you these kinds of aggressions are gonna increase. The oceans are estimated to be worth 24 trillion, with a T, trillion dollars. If they were a country, they'd be the seventh largest economy in the entire world. They're an incredibly important part of our global assets, and they're not a part that we want to abuse. Climate change is gonna change the game for managing fisheries. Suddenly, fisheries are not just gonna sit in one country for uh, the next century. They're gonna start traveling across country boundaries as, as fisheries and fish species start moving out of waters that get too hot and start moving into colder waters, right? That's gonna take more international collaboration. It's gonna take a new series of policy tools to, to engage. Illegal fishing is exacerbating these problems, and it's not a minor thing. In my country, in the United States, about a third of the wild-caught fish that we import into the U.S. is estimated to be um, involved in illegal fishing. So it's a major, a major issue that we need to address. Technology, actually, is probably going to be a really exciting way to combat illegal fishing. What we can do now is we can begin to track vessels almost anywhere in the global oceans using satellites and sensors. So if we can engage these new transparency technologies to increase the transparency in our supply systems that bring fish into all the countries in the world, we can tell which fish are illegal, which fish aren't. Having the history of that product is gonna help in a major way, making sure it comes from places that uh, don't engage in illegal fishing. And importantly, the same industries that uh, we can make sure it's doesn't engage illegal fishing, it can also make sure it doesn't abuse humanitarian issues. There's a lot of concern now with slavery in fisheries. So transparency, technology can be a win on both fronts. You get nice, green, healthy fish for the oceans, and you get fish that uh, protects human rights. That's a huge win that technology can afford for us. There are clear connections, for example, between loss of fisheries and increased conflict in local regions. You know, the, the piracy issues in Somalia now in, um, in West Africa as well. Many of the people involved in that uh, activity will tell you that the very reason that they first took up arms and went to sea was to protect their fisheries. And they're doing that because the fish diminished in number and because outside agents came in and started taking some of that fish and they didn't have tools, technology, or recourse to protect their food. So there are clear linkages between stability, fish futures, and oceans. We need to see those linkages and we need to act on the need to protect the value of our ocean resources. 2016, as almost everyone knows, was the hottest year on record. 2016 was also the biggest coral bleaching event we've ever seen on record. Increased ocean temperatures, cause the symbiosis between corals and their photosynthetic partners to break down so they bleach. That can either damage them lethally or can make them really, really sick. That's affected corals all across our planet in 2016. It killed 70% of the largest coral reef in Japan. It killed 67% of the northern section of the Great Barrier Reef. These are incredibly biodiverse, incredibly valuable ecosystems. These are like our underwater rainforests. Not only is that a huge apartment complex for, in some cases, literally millions of species, it's also a really important asset. The Great Barrier Reef was estimated to be worth $7 billion in ecotourism re revenues to the government in Australia. You don't want to treat a $7 billion asset like that. You don't want to uh, assault it with climate change. So. 
There's a lot of unfortunate things, a lot of stressors we're putting on the ocean as a result of climate change. We need to address those right now before they accelerate and they get uh, too far ahead of us. Unfortunately, there are myriad sources of pollution. The oceans are like uh, where all pollution in the land leaks and ends in our oceans. The ones that really get me concerned first are plastic pollution. So we estimate that for every ton of tuna that we're now taking out of the oceans, we're putting two tons of plastic back in the oceans. That is a trade imbalance that we cannot sustain for oceans any longer, right? It's estimated that there are five trillion, with a T, trillion pieces of plastic in the oceans. Much of that entered the oceans in a single human lifetime. That's clogging up ocean habitats. That's going into the bodies of some of our most special ocean animals. It's affecting the health of sea turtles, of marine mammals. It may even be affecting our health. This plastic is ending up in fish that end up in seafood markets and then end up in plates in front of our families. Another major source of pollution are fertilizers that we're applying in excess to our agricultural fields. Right? It's running off those fields into rivers, into the oceans, and then creating these big algal blooms which eventually suck all the oxygen out of the, the water, create dead zones. Nothing can live there without the oxygen. Makes sense. Unfortunately, over 400 dead zones have been documented in our oceans today. That is not a future that we want for the oceans, to see the expansion of these dead zones. To me, one of the most scary impacts of climate change, and one of the things we need to think about most in the oceans, is going to be sea level rise. So what's happening is climate change is causing the oceans to warm. Any ocean, any fluid, regardless of what it is, when it warms, it expands. Climate change is also causing ice to melt. That moves more water into the ocean, increases their volume. In aggregate, that means the ocean level comes up and that comes into our backyards. We estimate that sea level rise um, of that magnitude, up to two meters, could cause trillions of dollars in damage. And here's a very scary thing. You know, right now we're struggling to deal uh, intelligently and thoughtfully with mass migrations associated with political instability. Sea level rise is gonna trigger a brand new kind of mass migration in society. And the millions of people on the coast all across our world find their backyards, their homes, their neighborhoods flooded with the rising tide with the incoming um, sea as, as sea levels arise, they're going to be looking for and are going to be needing new homes. That's a huge source of economic loss. That's a huge source of political instability that we need to anticipate. And, and we have a solution for this, right? We just need to deal with climate change. There are a handful of stressors that are going to hit the developing world especially hard. One of those that comes to mind is how warming of the oceans affects where food is in the oceans, what that does to food security instabilities. When fish or seafood stocks in the oceans um, end up in water that's too hot for them, they move, trying to track cooler conditions. Quite often, although not always, that's to the north or to the south, which means that there's going to be a mass migration of seafood, of, of ocean species that are moving out of equatorial regions. Unfortunately, those are some of the poorest countries in the world. Those are the same countries that can't lose access to ocean foods. Those are countries that are, are, are often sitting right an inch away from diseases associated with malnutrition. That's not good for stability on, on, our, on our planet. This is something that we need to nip in the bud immediately before it becomes a grand issue that affects all of us. Join us next time to explore more global transformations.